Hey y'all, it's Meg from rural Wyoming, and bitches, I am back in Patreon, and it feels good to be supporting our favorite girls. Now, listen and enjoy this Sinister Sightings episode of a Paranormal Chicks podcast with Donna and Carrie. Hey y'all, I'm Donna. And I'm Carrie. And we are Paranormal Chicks. Sinister Sightings 135. And you just heard that intro by Meg G from... Rural Wyoming. Mm-hmm. I said, oh lord. Meg, we're so glad you're back on Patreon. Welcome. Yes, welcome back. And if you want to be welcomed back or welcomed, you know, the first time, head on over to patreon.com slash the APC podcast because that is where you can peruse the tiers because there's different levels for different benefits. Well, you had different levels in your voice. Peruse. I got to change it up a little bit. Uh-huh. So it's not every single sinister settings. It's the same. And if you want your blah, 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 even though I still said that, but head on over there, peruse the different tiers <laughs> and see if one of them fits your budget. Most of them, you get three freaking bonus episodes a month. That's literally like, well, really four if you count the, the uh, bloopers. bloopers. So really, you get an extra episode a fucking week. Mm-hmm. And for some of them, you get to introduce a sinister sightings. So head on over, like I said, patreon.com slash the APC podcast. All right. You ready for it? Mm-hmm. The first one is don't be a statistic. Hey ladies, this story is based on true events in my life. It's kind of a true crime story, but it will also bring awareness to this subject matter. Trigger warning, this story is going to contain substance abuse. I have permission to tell this story. I will not use real names for the safety of everyone involved. This is a lengthy story. Feel free to edit anything that doesn't seem important or appropriate. All details are important. Okay, they say, I've been wanting to tell this story because I know many people in real life that deal with the same thing and I want them to know a different perspective and that not everyone who is a struggling addict is the same. Let's rewind a little bit. I've sent stories in before and have mentioned that I live in a small, and I mean extremely small town in Middle Tennessee, where literally if you fart in the wind wrong, someone you may not know will tell the whole town about it. When living in this small town, I lived there with my mom, my dad, my sister, and my two brothers. Growing up in a small town was nice, but there's always trouble to get into. We had a pretty decent upbringing, except my oldest brother. My oldest brother and I have different moms, and he did not start living with us until he was about five years old. He's now 29. He was living with his mom up until then, and he was in and out of several different homes with his biological mom for many different reasons. When we were teenagers, our parents divorced, and we all went our separate ways. This was in 2009. I had not seen my brother after that. Now that we know his mom was a struggling addict and his upbringing was a little tough, we have a good background as to where we're going to be. I've not seen my brother since 2009, and I knew he was struggling with life, as one does, in and out of prison, rehabs, halfway houses, etc. I had some communication with him in this 10-year span, but very little. I still had communication with my dad, and he would tell me where he was or what he was doing every so often. Well, one of his many adventures brought him to Washington State. He moved there with his mom, who somehow still was not in jail for all the crimes and drug pushing. It's complicated, honestly, and very tiring to understand how she's still not in jail. My dad at the beginning of 2019 had told me he moved away and he was very touch and go with the contact, but that he was doing good. 
I thought, okay, this is it. He's finally getting his life together. Wrong. I should have known if his mom was involved. She herself was in trouble with the police and had active warrants everywhere. So somehow the cops were called to where they were living at the time and his mom was arrested and taken to jail. She was claiming a social security check on her mother who had passed away three years prior to this. Again, I'm not sure how they didn't catch it sooner. She has a history of getting out of trouble. After she was arrested and taken back to the state she was wanted in, he was left with nothing. He had nowhere to go because my dad sent him there to get help to begin with. He had no choice but to become homeless and to try to live that way. He stopped talking to everyone at this point. This was mid-March of 2019. A couple of months go by and I've heard nothing from my dad or his family. August comes around and I get a call from my dad and he tells me my brother is missing and no one can find him. I instantly got this deep hurting feeling in my gut. I asked him if he put a missing persons report out. He said he did. I asked how long he's been considered missing. He told me since May. I was furious. I said, why has no one told me? Why has no one looked? Why, why, why? I could not figure out why no one seemed to care he was missing. My dad then told me it was because he goes missing sometimes and that's just how drug addicts worked and that's how he wanted to live. I did not take that as an answer. I could not believe my brother who has OCD, he was sort of a germaphobe and a kind heart wanted to be homeless living on the streets in a place he didn't even know as his home. I started contacting all of his friends, anyone I could have thought he had contact with, nothing. It was a dead end everywhere I went. At this time, I was living in North Carolina, 15 hours away from where he went, quote, missing. I told my mom that I can't go into the winter knowing my brother is missing somewhere out there. That weekend, me and my mom packed up a small overnight bag and began our journey. This was the end of September. When we arrived in Washington, we got to looking right away. He had a friend who lived in the state and had reached out to a group of men who kind of specialized in looking for missing persons and they helped pass out flyers and look for him. We got a call from the county jail after reaching out to them, notifying them we were in the area looking for a missing person. The jail had reached out and told us they had just released him after a 12-hour hold and these are the areas he may be in. We searched high and low. Nothing. Day two of the three-day stakeout, we sat outside of the house he used to live in. We went to every soup kitchen and homeless shelter looking for him. Nothing. He was a ghost. I have always been super close to my brother, and when we were in certain areas of the city, I had this feeling in my gut that he was close. I knew he was still alive. We continued to look and walk around, give out flyers everywhere we were. We went to this local 7-Eleven and passed out the flyer to the cashier, and he had it up in his store. Not even 10 minutes later, he called us and told us that he just left and that he was on foot. We backtracked. Nothing. Again, me and my mom felt defeated. We were going to have to leave empty-handed, and who knows when we would be able to come back and look. She was so heartbroken to leave. Even though this was not her kid, she was devastated. She basically raised him. Moving forward, it's later in the year, November to be exact. It's already winter in Washington, snow, freezing temperatures, everything. We're still having people look and walk the town looking for him. Many people have called to say they have seen him. I even got a phone call from a store clerk saying that he was arrested for shoplifting outside of his store. This literally happened the day after we left. We were starting to lose hope. One evening, I got a call from a Washington number. I answered, and the other end was kind of fuzzy and quiet. I kept saying, hello, and finally a voice broke through saying my name. I instantly knew it was my brother. I started crying hysterically, as one should. 
He told me that he was in the hospital and very sick and needed help. He didn't want to live the life he was living anymore. He saw our flyer. He did not know we had been there looking for him. So when he saw the flyer, he was shocked. He was so sad and hurt. I told him, it's okay. We're going to come get him. Unfortunately, I could not go. My mom and my youngest brother went, and four days later, they were back with my brother. We got him the help he needed, and he hasn't looked back since. This was over a year ago, and now he's doing so much better. He's living a sober life. The many homeless people I met along the way were so happy to see a family that cared so much about their child. They would tell me things like, I wish my parents would care. It broke my heart. I'm a strong advocate for addicts and the homeless population. I look at it in a different light, and it shows how bad our jails are over populated and how bad the opiate crisis is in our country. I always tell my brother now to never be a statistic. Prove that you are better than that life and never take anything for granted. This was a more informative story and to educate about our poverty and substance abuse in our country. Thank you for your time, ladies. I appreciate all that you do for us. Creep it real, Lenora. This is an alias. Oh my gosh. Well, I'm so glad that he was found. Yes, safely. That would break my heart too, how you said everyone was so nice and they wished they had someone in their corner too. Gosh. You know, we often talk about like amongst ourselves and, you know, I used to work with my friend Megan who she grew up with Don and me. Like I've literally known Megan since like third grade. There's like pictures of us in third grade standing outside her house doing dances. (laughs) And, you know, we talked about the people who we grew up with that you know, our families were friends and they have substance abuse problems and some of them have died from their addictions. And it's like, we always talk about what is the difference? We were essentially raised the same. I mean, obviously not exactly the same. Every family is different and every family has different problems and different trauma and that sort of thing. But it's like, but overall we grew up so similar. Like what is the difference that, you know, we're able to handle our trauma one way and they handle it in such a different way. And it's like, well, if we could, that's the million dollar question. If we could figure mm-hmm. that out, we'd save the fucking world. But people do, they handle trauma differently and they process things differently. And someone that has an addiction or a substance abuse problem, however you want to say it, they're no less than, they're no different than you. There's someone who's homeless is not less than, they're no different from you. They just have a different life path at that point. And it's definitely not something to be looked down upon. We want to support each other and help each other and lift each other up, not tear one another down. Exactly. And I'm so happy for your brother and your family that you were able to find him. Hey, y'all. I recently found you two and love listening to y'all. I have a sinister sighting for you. In 2007, I moved to Abilene, Texas to get away from a crazy ex-boyfriend. I moved into a small one-bedroom apartment alone that was seriously haunted. There was a small partition between the bathroom sink and the toilet. I would always leave my toothpaste on the top of my sink all the time. But when I would get home late from work at night, the toothpaste would be on the top of the partition. I lived by myself. There were also times that my toilet paper would be taken off the roll and moved into the bathtub. What? After being in the apartment six to seven months, I would come home and see a little girl in pigtails and saddle shoes in front of my built-in desk. I remember her also holding a doll or a teddy bear. 
I would hear my kitchen sink running water and I would be watching TV or a movie. When I would go into the kitchen, I'd see an older woman doing dishes and she looked eerily like a farmer or a farmer's wife. I would also see an older gentleman in my dining room either standing on my dining room table or with his feet on the floor and the dining table splitting him at the waist. I'm sorry to keep rambling, but the weirdest and creepiest thing that ever happened while living in that apartment was that my neighbor that lived right next door asked me if I ever felt super cold spots in the apartment. When I responded in the positive, he told me that he keeps wondering why he was hearing water running in the kitchen when him and his wife were sitting in the living room. They thought it was me because the wall between our apartments was so thin. I told him I've heard the same thing and I've seen the old lady washing dishes. Not sure what was happening in the bathroom, but I just thought you guys would like to know what happened with the ghost or images I was seeing. I had a friend come in and pray with me to see if we could rid anything evil in my apartment. The little girl and the old man were still there, but my toothpaste and toilet paper stayed put. And the old lady doing dishes never showed up again. Creep it real and you two are hilarious. I love hearing you guys laugh. But then she sent, like right after that, she sent another one. And she said, I know I've sent y'all a message already. I wanted to send something else for a sinister sighting. I was also very close with my grandmother growing up and she died in 2001 when I was 21 years old. There were lots of times that I would see her in my peripheral. Nope, I say that wrong every time. In my peripheral eyeline. I would see her sitting at the dining table in any home I visited. When I would turn my head, there was nothing. It finally got to the point that I brushed it off, only thinking I was just missing her. I finally would see her sitting at the table playing solitaire. She was fully in my line of sight, no peripheral. I do miss her every day. Mother's Day is always hard because May 13th, 2001 happened to be Mother's Day, and that's the day we buried her. I always see her around my birthday in March, Mother's Day, Thanksgiving, and Christmas. Creep it real and don't get scared. I love your show, Melissa W. I don't know what was in your apartment, but can you stop messing with my shit? Is what I would want to say. Well, you know what? They wouldn't move your toilet paper because you are the toilet paper bandit. Don't tell everyone my secrets, please. Shame. Shame. I am the toilet paper bandit. Yes. But at least I got you that. The basket? Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Just one time it ran out of toilet paper. That is crazy though. Like you live alone and your shit, your shit be missing. And moved. And it's like, I know for a fact, I didn't do that. So. I would go, someone's living in my house. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Danny, he's back. Oh my God, poor Danny. You miss him? Has he been writing you lately? He hasn't been writing me at all. That jerk. If y'all don't know who I'm talking about, it's uh, Walls and Dolls. I think it's episode three, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. Damn, good memory. That's the only, literally the only episode I know the number of. (laughs) Episode nine is Black Eyed Kids and Ed Kemper. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Because that's the one that's, like, everybody's scariest one. <laughs> yeah, sorry. They'll, like, get to that one. They'll be like, I don't know if I can listen anymore. We're like, no, no, no. That's the scariest one, like, of the whole mm-hmm. series. Series. Apparently, we're just a series now. <laughs> of the whole podcast. Okay, this one is called Grandparent Ghosts. Hey, ladies. My name is Jessica. Yes, you can use my name. And I have a paranormal story for your next Sinister Sightings episode. Seven months later. Right. I was totally about to say, uh, a little late. The house that my husband, Nick, grew up in is hella haunted. A little bit of backstory. Nick's dad grew up in the same house with his seven brothers and sisters and then ended up buying it from his parents later on. So this house has been in the family for a long time now. 
I've heard multiple stories from Nick and his parents about things that happened in the house, but I'll just tell you about the two that freaked me the fuck out. The first is when Nick and his sister were tiny humans and his cousin was babysitting them. She came downstairs after putting them both to bed, turned into the living room, and saw an old man with a plaid shirt sitting in the recliner. She did a double take and he was gone. When Nick's parents got home that night, his cousin said to them, Look, I don't mean to freak you out, but I could have sworn I saw an old man sitting in that chair over there. When I looked again, he was gone. Nick's parents kind of laughed and his dad went and got a photo, showed it to her and said, Is this him? His cousin was freaked out because it was definitely the man she had seen. The photo was of Nick's grandfather who lived there previously. And Nick's dad said to her, yeah, we see him all the time. The next story is the one that freaks me out the most. And my husband is still shook from it. We've known each other since high school. And Nick used to pick me up every morning and drive me to school. One morning, I got in his Jeep and immediately noticed that he was freaked out. Turns out he had a little visit from a ghost before breakfast. Since he was the first one awake in the morning, the house was always pitch black when he woke up. After he was done getting dressed, he would turn off his bedroom light, walk through the dark hallway, and not turn on the light until he got downstairs so he wouldn't wake anyone else up. This particular morning, he had turned off his bedroom light and was walking down the hallway. He stepped on something that made a noise. And right after that, he heard loud and clear an old woman's voice say, Who's there? He was so freaked out that he froze for like a solid minute and couldn't move. He knew it wasn't the voice of his mom or sister and is convinced it was his grandmother. Long story short, his family sees and hears his grandparents all of the time in that house. Even though they're cute old grandparent ghosts, there would still be a Jessica-shaped hole in the wall if I ever saw or heard them. Love you guys. Keep up the awesome podcast, Jessica from Buffalo, New York. Uh-uh. Yeah, literally, there would be, just like you said, a carry size hole going, a uh, fuck no. Also, that's so you as a ghost. Basically, who's fucking with my sleep? No, the grandmother was like... Who's there? Because it's dark. Yeah, it scared the ghost grandmother. He scared his ghost grandmother. I know, that's what I'm saying. That would be you as a ghost. Oh, well, say it where I understand. <laughs> <laughs> you literally just said the same thing, and I was yes. like, oh, I get it. <laughs> oh, God. Donna would hate that because she hates old people. <laughs> That's a family heirloom I don't want. Also, how do you make out in that house? Because your grandparents would be watching. Like literally you have an audience. Uh-uh. I mean, I'm not opposed to an audience, but not my grandparents. Yeah, but it's like it's like a consensual audience. Mm-hmm. That, not so much. All right, next one. Hey, beautiful ladies. I want to start off by saying, please do not use my name. I will also not give my city or the time frame. I guess this is a true crime slashed I survived story. I wanted to share this with you because it could happen to anyone. And honestly, I thought it would never happen to me. I have lived in the city I live in for about five years. Honestly, when I moved here, I thought I would make a ton of friends and it would be the best opportunity ever. I have had nothing but trouble with making friends here and it's so lonely. I was in a woman's group on Facebook and oftentimes women would plan events and invite other women. I had recently made an acquaintance with a woman and she invited me to a pool party. I decided to go, got my own drinks and snacks and headed over. She greeted me, was super cool, showed me around and introduced me to everyone. I was having a good time hanging out in the pool and this other woman came up and was talking to us. We'll call her C. 
Sadie was going on and on about how pretty I was. She was kind of obnoxious about it. She was also saying things about how long it takes for alcohol to get out of your body. I thought it was weird and also corrected her. For context, I am built like the average man. I'm tall, muscular, and have a bit of a tummy. My body processes alcohol faster than the average woman. So the day went on, and over the course of about seven hours, I had five truly tight drinks. Honestly, with being in the sun, I didn't even have a buzz. The last thing I remembered was the sun setting and C bringing me a shot. That's when everything went black. The next thing I know, I'm waking up crying in someone's lawn. I called 911. Unfortunately, they never sent anyone because of a major event in the downtown area and they didn't have enough coverage. I had a sprained ankle. I was all scraped up and had cuts on my neck. But worst of all, I had a human bite mark on my arm. Where it was, there was no way I could do it myself. While I was blacked out, I somehow filmed a video of myself crying and saying over and over that they were trying to take me. I also remember looking up and seeing two people staring at me while I laid in the yard. They told me I needed to leave, that I needed to get out of there right now. These people did not look like the woman or anyone else at the party. I have no idea who they were. So I got up and started walking. There is a man sitting on his porch and he gave me a bottle of water and helped me get in touch with someone who could help me. I took an Uber back to my car and I had been taken almost 20 miles from where the party was. Holy shit. I begged the Uber driver to wait until I drove off to make sure I was safe, which he did. When I got home, I assessed myself and decided to call non-emergency this time. They sent EMS to my home and I was taken to the hospital. The hospital didn't take it seriously. They only did a drug test on me, which of course came back clean. No forensic blood test, no rape kit. There was no way I was just drunk. I hadn't had enough to drink to be wasted like that. Police took my statement, but nothing was done. I had one follow-up about a month later, but still nothing was done. I wanted to share my story because human trafficking is real and happens to anyone. Be aware of your surroundings at all times and don't take drinks from strangers, even if they seem harmless. Even women are traffickers. I absolutely love the podcast and you ladies make me laugh so much. I have a lot of awesome paranormal experiences that I'll share with my name in the future, but I felt like this was the most important to send first. Creep it real. That is so freaking scary. And I feel like you had such trouble finding a friend group. And then the one time you like put yourself out there, something traumatic happens. And the fact that you weren't taken seriously pisses me off. Yes. That's also very strange that they were like, which I mean, I get the whole point that they were doing that. But like talking about like how quickly the alcohol, you know, Mm -hmm. that's fucking weird. If you think about it, a predator, they knew what they were doing being in that group if they were a predator. Because if it's a group full of women who, you know, like, hey, I'm alone in the city. Let's be friends. I don't have a lot of friends. Let's be friends. Which is such a great group to have. I'm not saying anything about that. I'm saying that person really thought about it. And and chose to prey on specifically on those people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's so scary. And also, a fuck you. Yes. This is why we can't have nice things. Exactly. I'm so glad that you survived that. Oh my gosh. Oh, that's so scary. And how sweet is that old man on the porch giving you water and stuff? 
I'm so glad that you found people that did help you. Like you said, the old man, the Uber driver that actually stayed to make sure that you were okay. You know, you actually found some kindness, but fuck. Why is it when you go to the hospital for something, like if I went for some symptom, they will run a slew of tests on me. But then when you actually go for something that you need other tests run, they're like, meh. We're going to just run this one test. Yeah, about that. We, You know, we don't actually think that happened to you. We don't believe you because we're so jaded by all the shit that we actually do see on the daily that we don't really believe you. Yeah. That's a direct quote of no one. <laughs> and I'm not blaming every hospital worker and, you know, all of that. It's just, it's just one of those things. Like, why are you doing all these tests? And it's because they need to find answers. I get that. But then it's like, why didn't they do that to her? Mm -hmm. I don't know. I could not work in an ER. I would be so fucking jaded. Okay, the next one. Okay, I was listening to Sinister Sightings episode 80 on the way home Friday, and I had to laugh at the one who said her family still teased her about the cat in high heels. I said to myself, self, you need to tell them the story of the black pig. Oh my God, Carrie says that. She'll be like, and I said, self, and I think that's the funniest thing. And since myself is such a smart person, I decided to find my own advice. So here goes. A little background information first. I work as the director of registration for a small convention in Nashville called Hyper Icon. Well, around 2014, we were running registration and we had a couple of walk-in registrations. One of them provided his credit card and his name was DeFeo. Naturally, I asked if he was any kin to the DeFeo family of the Amityville Horror Story. Right, I would too. And he said, yeah, they were cousins of the family. Didn't think anything else about it. Drove home that night, everything normal. Got up the next morning to go back to the convention and looked out the bathroom window and there was a huge black pig in my front yard. Naturally, I run outside to see what in the Amityville is going on and I get to the fence and there was no black pig. No sign of a black pig at all. I was not dreaming. I was not drunk. I know I saw a black pig in my backyard. However, no one else believes me at all, and I still get teased about the imaginary black pig in my yard. That's so funny. Don't you hate that, though? Because you're like, I saw it. I saw what I saw. I know what I know. And then everyone else is like, right. That's like when I said the deer hit me, my mama was like, right. Mm -hmm. Probably because I have a history of shit like that. One time I had a bike wreck because I was going to get her cigarettes from my, my nanny's house, who's my grandmother. And, you know, she had the like the classic cigarette pack. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like they had the the snap on the top. Mm -hmm. Oh, girl, I know what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. So I was like, yeah, 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 I'll ride my bike. It's literally like around the corner. Well, on the way back, I don't know what happened, but, well, I know what happened. There was a car and I like was like, oh, and so there was some like loose gravel, went over there. Well, then my, I was like, whoa, whoa, I didn't have my training wheels on. And she was 14. <laughs> and then I fell. Well, I walked home because it was like, seriously, I don't know, five steps from a house. You know, they say accidents happen close to your house. Well, my mom's like, I told you not to ride fast. I said, I didn't wreck. The rocks flew up and hit me. <laughs> and I mean, I thought I was very convincing. So literally when I said, the deer hit me, she said, oh, like the rocks flew up and hit you? I'm like, <laughs> well, that was a lie, but this one is true. But then the second time a deer hit me, she was like, 
that deer just hit you. I'm like, yes. Yeah, she said the second time a deer hit her. Yeah, you heard that correctly. Well, the first time it was a truck that hit the deer and the deer hit me like from flying in the air. The other one, the deer fucking ran into my car. I was like, I stopped. I don't even know what to say to that. It was the same car. I swear to God, they love Honda Accords. This one's titled Unwelcome Visitors. Hey ladies, Kayla here. I hope you enjoyed the story of my dad's haunted house. As promised, here are the stories of a few unwelcome guests my fiance, boyfriend during these stories, and I have experienced. So for a quick timeline, the scratching incident at my dad's house happened Christmas of 2007. I was going through a messy breakup and was in a pretty dark place. I met my fiance in a class right before the scratching incident, and we became good friends almost instantly. He was a ray of light that guided me out of the pit my previous relationship put me in. Anyways, sorry for being sappy. Our friendship really blossomed on a trip for the class we met in. During the trip, we ended up going to Clayton, New Mexico to visit the Herstein Museum and eat at Hotel Auckland. I'm really sorry if I'm fucking those up, which I think I am, but they're two haunted places. Yay me. She didn't fuck them up. I mean, I'm fucking them up. My group ended up getting to the museum after the tour started, so we jumped in midway. During the tour, the guide mentioned experiences people had while at the museum. Seeing people, hearing things, all the typical haunting experiences. After we were given the tour, we were allowed to look around and buy things from the gift shop until our reservation at the hotel. Well, as I was wandering around, I went upstairs alone, and once I was in the parlor type room, I felt like I couldn't breathe. Now, let me tell you, I might not be a personal pan pizza, but I'm not that so out of shape that one flight of stairs kills me. Anyway. What's uh, it like to be one of God's favorites? (laughs) I was about to say, uh, you talking about me. (laughs) Flight of stairs. Anyways, I felt a menacing presence and I was acutely aware of how alone I was. So I quickly went back downstairs with everyone else and I could breathe normally once there. At the hotel, we were given the tour along with the history lesson before dinner. Surprisingly, I didn't sense anything beyond a somber atmosphere while there. But it was an amazing experience overall because it brought back memories of my family's restaurant in its prime. After my fiance and I started dating, we would spend the night together, mainly in his room because it was much bigger than my way too expensive 6x10 dorm room. Yay, college! One night, we were just laying in bed talking about sappy couple stuff, how we met, our first date, etc. And then we heard a bump in the darkness, and I could immediately sense something else was there. I tried to ignore it, but my boyfriend asked if I felt like someone else was there too. I said yes, but told him to ignore it and do not engage with it. I guess our visitor didn't like that because it started turning on his Xbox randomly in the middle of the night. It got to a point where I was terrified to sleep anywhere near the side of the bed because I sensed something would be there waiting for me to open my eyes. Oh, fuck no. I finally gave up and told the entity to leave and bother someone else because we didn't want it to be there. I even put some crystals in the window to create a protective barrier. Totally learned that from Charles. Everything calmed down and we graduated and moved out of that dorm. Well, fast forward to like nine to 10 months and we're living in our first apartment together. 
I was almost asleep and my boyfriend sat straight up and said, something is in the doorway to our bedroom. I told him to calm down because they feed on emotions and fear. I calmly told it to leave in my mind and I could tell it didn't want to. So I calmed down, start meditating, and envision pushing a ball of protective energy throughout the apartment, leading it to the door. As it was nearing the door, it started resisting more, and both my boyfriend and I heard footsteps. Thankfully, I banished it and told it to go bother our noisy upstairs neighbors. The next day, I put a salt line around my entire apartment and told anything that could hear me that only beings of light would be able to pass through the salt lines and be able to enter the apartment. We had no other unwelcome visitors after that and moved out of that apartment once our lease was up. I'm currently typing up the story when my dad thought I was kidnapped. So until then, love y'all and creep it real, Kayla. P.S. My fiance worked at a llama farm back in college. Oh my God. Oh my God. I love that you learned to do the crystal thing from Charmed. Yes. Oh my gosh. There's so much to unpack. The llama, the dorm room. Girl, we understand that. Although our first dorm, we had that set up like on fleek. On fleek. I mean, that probably wasn't even a saying then or now, (laughs) but it was. We had our beds bunked. We had a futon. We had a rug. We had little strung up lantern lights. Mm -hmm. We had our fancy comforters straight from Walmart that looked Uh like they were from a 70s, not even disco. I don't know what they were. Remember mine was like pink and flowers and yours was orange and flowers. Yes. Like we looked like we were totally not even who we are. I know, I know. But we lived the best life playing all the Mario Kart. Everyone wanted to come over. Yes, I love that. Which is why I was on academic probation. (laughs) 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 And which is why we lived in hell the next year because my GPA was such shit. (laughs) (laughs) She said, sorry, Donna. (laughs) I was like, I want the one with the the nice elevator. Yeah, by the by, I'm on probation, so Mm -hmm. can't live there. Also, that futon, we decided to buy that. Well, I think I bought it, but... Because this bitch didn't work, and she always <laughs> fucking had money. I don't understand. Because I used to save a lot. Now, not so much. I'm like, ooh, she in. But we... Me always work and be like, Donna, can I have some of your macaroni? <laughs> she got the real shit. I got the great value brand. I'm like, Donna, can I have some of your macaroni? And that girl I... would eat it. Like, I... we would get home, and I swear to God, she went through five things. She'd be like, Are, have you ate one? No! You're like, we haven't even unpacked. (laughs) Like, what the hell? When I go to the grocery store, I want to eat everything that I just bought. (laughs) Yes, you do. Like, even if it's just like one, I just got to eat everything. I just got (laughs) to try it. Make sure it's good. But we moved that futon in the fucking rain. Do you remember that? No, I think I blocked it out. I do remember. It was from your dad's Explorer. That's old. And I do remember. (laughs) That's old. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we're old. Yeah, that was a 1992 Ford Explorer that we had a push button that we had to install because you would have to turn the car like you were cranking it, but it wouldn't crank because something was broken on it. So you would have to get eyeglass screwdriver and connect the battery to something to make it start. And then eventually dad put a little button in it so you could not have to get out and people would be like, oh, do you need help? And you're like, no, I'm just trying to crank it. (laughs) Oh, gosh. Yeah, I remember that. Uh, It fucking hurt my fingers because we couldn't really grip it because it's fucking raining. I hate rain because, you know, I wear flip-flops. And I think I had my white flip-flops on then. Yeah, and probably your jean skirt. (laughs) Honestly, I think so. Anyway, but we couldn't, like, lift the box part. So we did it from the, 
like plastic straps. Oh. Yeah, that was fine. Uh, besides, like, we had to carry it all the way mm-hmm. from the parking lot to the thing, and my fingers were like. Meanwhile, why didn't I just. Oh, because it was raining. I was say, why didn't I just drop you off? No, what I was thinking was my fingers hurting because when we went and we did that one haul of groceries oh at the second dorm and we were like oh let's get this plastic <laughs> bin to carry them all up at once but it has no fucking handles it's like a tote that's massive with literally no handles and so we were trying to carry it up three flights of stairs that was a disaster <laughs> we are not good planners no. this is why neither one of us uh measured in engineering no but also carrie had to go down and get water and that I was girl. so fucking thirsty. It was like 4 a.m. And I was like, I'm going to die. I am so fucking thirsty. And we had two cases of water in my car. That girl went down, got them. Both cases. Yeah. Came back up. And carried them up three flights of stairs. She was like, I was like, good, good. You don't need it to be cold first? No, I just needed it. Oh, my God. That was interesting of a tangent. Dorm life. But back to you and your scary unwanted visitors. Yeah, keep those over there. We're good over here. I love that you're like, calm down. Oh my God. That thank you for reminding me that because I almost said in the history of telling people to calm down, it's never actually calmed someone down. And I know they feed off of fear and stuff, but then I'd be like, Why did you just tell me to calm down? Yeah. And then I'd be like, Oh my God, but it can still sense it, so it really knows. You know what I mean? Like I go too too far and then I freak myself out. Okay, the next one. Hey, y'all, your friendly crazy pastor has finally showed up to the party after listening to y'all since the beginning. You already know how much I love you, and you remind me of my bestie and I. Your love reaches out and grabs us all by the heart, even if the content has us cowering in fear. Y'all mentioned my country accent during my sinister sightings opening. Well, I grew up in Texas, even though I'm in Indiana now, and my family is from Big Stone Gap, Virginia. That may explain it. I have plenty of stories from true crime to paranormal. I'll send them in a little at a time. My first story is more heartfelt than scary, but it's what got me interested in the paranormal. When I was younger, I went on a family trip to Washington, D.C. with my mom, a friend, and her mom. There was this little shop set up near the Lincoln Memorial and overlooking the Washington Monument with bracelets that had soldiers' names on them. They were prisoner of war and missing in action bracelets. The concept was you wore the bracelet until they were brought home or found. I used to pray every night for my soldier, hoping he was at peace. One night later that year, I prayed that my soldier was okay and asked to be sent a sign if he was alive. That night, I woke up to a bright light in my doorway. When I looked, it was a man in uniform saluting me. He was glowing. He didn't say anything, but I remember how at peace I felt knowing he was okay, even if I was a little scared. I told my parents the next day, and of course, my mama said it was a dream. Here's the thing. I know it wasn't a dream because I remember physically waking up to see him. My dad believed me, though, so I knew I wasn't crazy. Well, not that kind of crazy. Thanks for everything y'all do to create a supportive and loved-filled creep community. Your friend, Sharissa, in case Donna gets this, (laughs) because like she spelled it out. You know, I have a lot of strengths. That is not one. That is, do you think that that meant that he was at peace, like he had passed and he was at peace okay? Or do you think that that meant like, no, he was like found and okay? I don't know, because she asked for a sign that he was alive. Right, but... I don't know. Are you still wearing the bracelet? Yeah, how do they tell you if they've been found? I don't know. That's a that's a really good idea. But then, you know, I like something for like a week and then I'd be like, 
Yeah. Well, most people aren't you. <laughs> I know. <laughs> thank God for that. Well, thank you for all of your sweet words and the crepe immunity. Uh, still in that. Yeah, but it also uh, kind of sounds like we just won something on Big Brother. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like if we had Big Brother games mm-hmm. and you would have the creep immunity so mm-hmm. that you couldn't get voted off the island. All right. Last one. This one's titled, Please Read. <laughs> okay. If you insist. <laughs> Hi, Carrie and Donna. My name is Zelaney and you guys can use my name. And first off, I would like to say that I absolutely love you guys. Listening to you guys make me feel so at home as I am from a small town in Georgia. It's currently 2.05 a.m. and I got the sudden urge to write to you guys. Today, I'll be telling y'all about a horrific case that happened in my town. I want to go ahead and say that if anyone is sensitive to cases revolving children and sexual assault, I would skip ahead because this one is hard to sit through. On December 2nd, 2011, seven-year-old Joralise Rivera was reported missing. Three days later, on December 5th, her body was found in a trash bag stuffed in a garbage unit at the apartment complex where she lived. Oh my God. Now, this complex is literally right behind my house. The only thing separating my house from these apartments is a little fence. With that being said, me and my siblings always jumped it to go play with the other kids in the neighborhood. I was maybe seven at the time. I vaguely remember making flower crowns with her for our parents. I remember me and my siblings trying to go searching for her in the days leading up to her body being discovered because her pink scarf was found at the fence opening behind my house. Oh my God. Shortly after her discovery, a man named Ryan Brunn was arrested for her murder. Ryan was a maintenance worker at the River Ridge Apartments where Joralise lived with her mother. He pleaded guilty before a judge in Atlanta and apologized for what he had done. He claimed he chose Joralise because he happened to find her roller skate outside and he used it to lure her into an abandoned apartment while she was on the way to grab some Cokes for her and her friends. He admitted to sexually molesting her while in the vacant apartment. He got scared that she would go home and tell on him, so he bound her arms behind her back with plastic ties in a bathtub and taped her face before slashing her body with a carpet cutter. (gasps) When she didn't immediately die, he hit her five times with a hammer-like object and stabbed her in the chest. He stuffed her body in a trash bag and threw her in the trash compactor. Mind you, residents had been complaining about an awful stench coming from the trash compactor and knowing what it was now is heartbreaking. Two days after her murder, Ryan started freaking out and while on a drug-induced high, he wrote on a McDonald's receipt that the girl's body was was in the trash compactor and he taped it to the bin. While staying in Jackson State Prison, he died by suicide by hanging after pleading guilty to her murder and receiving a life sentence with no parole. Most people doubt he actually killed himself. It's believed that the guards left his cell open and allowed other inmates to have at him. Whoa. I remember attending her funeral. This might be graphic, so leave it out if you see fit, but she had an open casket And her body was so badly beaten that it was swollen to the size of a watermelon. And you could see the bruises and cuts even through the thick layers of makeup. I know this is grim, but she looked like Elena Milagro de Hoyos after being mummified by Carl Tanzler. Mm. My heart goes out to the mother and the family of this sweet angel. 
Sorry, I know this is super long. I just feel like her story needs more coverage. Ryan Brunn was a sorry piece of shit, and I hope he's burning eternally for what he did to that sweet, beautiful little girl. I'll attach some pictures of Joralise and Ryan so y'all can see who I'm referring to. Joralise Rivera in her second grade class at Canton Elementary. Then another one is police discovering her body, and y'all look at that poor man's face. Then the fuckface Ryan Brunn, burning hell fucker, and one more sweet photo of this sweet angel. And what we'll do, we'll put that on Instagram so y'all can see this. This is so tragic. My gosh. It's And like you have such a connection to the story because it was oh right gosh. there at your house. You made flower crowns with her. I cannot imagine knowing someone that goes missing. Like we've talked about how we remember, you know, local stories of people who went missing, but you know, that's just remembering the story, mm-hmm. not being fucking friends with them. Go in on the search party because her scarf was found at the entrance of your gate. Oh my gosh. What he did was so graphic, like so heinous. I don't know if he really died by suicide or if someone did that to him. What do they call that prison justice? I guess. Well, that's a hard one to end on. I know. (sighs) To end on a happier note, the anonymous girl who might have been human, like tried to be human trafficked, when she said somehow she had videoed herself crying and saying they were trying to take me. Yeah. I mean, I know that's not a happier note. But that reminded me, I had freaked myself out watching Creep Talk, all the weird stuff. And I've been smelling smoke a lot, just randomly. And so I'm like, oh my God, like something is going on. Well, seriously, that night, you know how how you said sometimes like you wouldn't sleep on that side of the bed because you just felt like something was like standing there waiting for you to wake up? Well, if I'm like turned away from anything and my back is open to something, like I felt like, oh my God, it's like right there. Freaking myself out. No, I'm my house is unhaunted that I know of. But I had freaked myself out so much. Well, I was, I think at the doctor's office or something, and I was looking for something in my camera roll and I saw like a video and it's of my room, but it's like at a darker, like early in the morning. And I was like, oh my God, what happened? How did this happen? Who who took this? What am I going to see? Oh my God. What if I caught a ghost? Oh my God. Um, yeah, I caught a ghost. All right. Uh, I was catching some Z's. And so what it was, I probably woke up, like looked at my phone or something and I sleep on my stomach. So the phone was like underneath me and you could just see like my mirror and like a wall, you know, so it was a weird angle, but you can see that. And I'm like, what am I recording? But then you can hear me snoring. (laughs) I was like out. And I was like, what the fuck? I did it twice. Like there was two things. And I was like, oh my God, I like, what am I going to see on this? Uh, Never mind. It was a sinister sighting. Uh, I was like, well, I was really sleeping there. Y'all, and when this girl is getting those logs, (laughs) she getting some fucking logs. (laughs) Um, They know I've fallen asleep playing the game. Well, watching them play games on uh, Discord. (laughs) Girl, go to bed. (laughs) Look. Sometimes it's not my fault. It's very calm watching people play games. Mm-mm-mm. Well, I'm I'm not the only one who's done it too. Meanwhile, y'all are up way past my bedtime, so you know I'm not falling asleep doing that. I'm already asleep. <laughs> 
Well, thank y'all so much for sending in your stories. Y'all, we love them. And y'all are always like, it's so long and it's so not. No, and seriously, every detail is important. You know what? I ramble. Hello, did you just hear that monologue I gave? We we want to hear all of it. Thank y'all so much for sharing these stories. And of course, y'all know the thing. If you want us to read one of your stories, send it in to aparanormalchicks at gmail.com. And remember, creep it real and and don't don't get scared. scared.